Attention, all true believers. Marvel Comics is on the air. Hi, welcome to episode 635 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and there's a very small list of things that I have done 600 times. I'm Elroy Burkdale. Yeah, I'm back. I'm David Elliott. And I was thinking about stopping this podcast while I was still ahead. But I've never been ahead. I'm Dave Elliott. And I can't believe I've done 300 of these things. Feels more like 324 to me. I'm Dave Elliott. And these podcasts are coming out less frequently because I'm busy training for the 2012 Summer Olympics. I'm your host, Dave Elliott. And if I have time to do 100 of these damn things, maybe I ought to make time to visit my dying Aunt Mildred in the hospital. Nah, I'm Dave Elliott, and I have been exposed to cosmic rays. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I talked about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, starting with issue one and going all the way to today's issue, Fantastic Four 645, released on April 29th, 2015. The story is titled, The Fantastic Four, by James Robinson and Leonard Kirk. And so here it is, the final episode. Let's get started. I have a lot of ground to cover. This issue of the FF is like 60 pages. One main story with four small backups. Plus, we have bonus Fantastic Four coverage. And it starts where we left off. Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, is in the headquarters of John Eden, the quiet man. Reed, not such a quiet man. He has to start the issue with a, a long speech that fills us in on where we are. Reed is in there fighting off a bunch of small killer robots. Ben Grimm, the Thing, is out on the streets of New York with a bunch of other superheroes fighting off some bug creatures and the alternate Avengers from the Heroes Reborn universe. Sue Richards, the Invisible Woman, is in the Heroes Reborn universe herself facing off against her own personal greatest foe, Psycho Man. And Johnny Storm, the powerless Human Torch, has a gun and is defending the entrance to the Heroes Reborn portal. So the Quiet Man says to Reed that it looks like the war being fought on the streets of New York and all over the world is being won by his forces. It's Eden's plan to swoop in at the last minute and stop all the attacks and be hailed as a hero that saved the world. But Reed thinks that when Eden tries to stop it himself, he won't be able to. John Eden says that all he has to do is press a button to close up the portals and all the creatures will become inert and the attack will be over. But first, John Eden has to make himself known to the public. Reed tells him that if he goes ahead and stops the attacks, he promises that he will take the blame and that John Eden will be the hero. He'll tell everyone that. So John Eden trusts Reed and he goes to stop the attack. But, shocker, it doesn't work. 
Reed says that as soon as he heard that John Eden was working with Psycho Man, Eden's plans were sure enough going to go south. I mean, really, if you trust a guy with a name like Psycho Man, you're just asking for trouble. Back in the Heroes Reborn world, Sue is attacking Psycho Man, and she thanks him for bringing back her malice persona, because now, with a little malice, Sue is one mean-ass lady. And she ain't pulling her punches, as she rips Psycho Man apart with her force field powers. But Psycho Man still has his emotion control powers, and he conjures up the emotion of doubt. Doubt. The most common emotion that I have while doing this podcast. I doubt I can make it through another boring issue. I doubt anyone will listen. Sue stops cold, obviously racked with doubt. Psycho Man says he's going to use her and the others to help him invade Earth. But just then, the Submariner flies by, crashing into and shattering the emotion box that Psycho Man uses to control emotions. So, Sue returns to normal, and she is ready to kick more ass. At this point, Sleepwalker says to Franklin that it's time for him to do his thing, concentrate, while Psycho Man is weakened. He asks Franklin to concentrate and negate the world, the entire world. Franklin is worried about killing off all the life forms living there, but Sleepwalker reminds him that they're not real. They just came from his imagination. He says they don't have a soul, like Franklin does or Jim Hammond. Jim Hammond is like, what? Soul? But you see, he's an android. And like any robot, he has no soul. Or does he? Sue implores her son to do it. Mom, I'm not sure I know how, he says. Back in New York, the real Marvel heroes are fighting the lame-ass Heroes Are Born Avengers. Captain America is fighting Captain America. Actually, it's the Falcon Captain America versus the Heroes Are Born Captain America, so who cares? So, you've come for the last laugh, Ben says to the new Frightful Four. Ben is surprised to see Sandman and Thunder there on the team, and is kind of not surprised to see the She-Thing. I'm always surprised to see the She-Thing, although, sorry Alicia, but she's by far Ben's most interesting relationship over the course of the series. We see Bentley and the kids nearby, eavesdropping on what the wizard is saying to Ben. The wiz says that he agreed to work with the Psycho Man for the money and for the pleasure of seeing the downfall of the Fantastic Four. But, he says, he wants a future for himself and his clone, his son. And so, he says, Today, and only today, the Frightful Four will endeavor to be fantastic. And they join the other heroes in battling against John Eden's invaders. You know, that really is a nice moment for the wizard, a longtime nemesis of the Fantastic Four. It's good to see the Frightful Four included in this final issue. Next, we see the heroes are born, Scarlet Witch, and the real Scarlet Witch arrives. And then there's a battle between... A couple of witches. Wanda immediately lays a smackdown on her evil doppelganger and then announces that she brought help of her own, Salem's Seven. Uh, huh? Why? I mean, 
do they really deserve a place in this final issue? Salem 7, really? Back in the Chrysler building, Reed and John Eden are working together to find a solution to the problem. And Eden says that he never dreamed that they would one day be working side by side. Reed reminds him that after all this is over, he's going to prison. So don't get too excited. And then Reed calls Valeria, who is still in the Fantastic Four's ship, and she says she's on her way. We see that she has uh, some kind of scanner to track the two men, and on the scanner, Reed is labeled as Daddy, John Eden is labeled as Evil Jerk. She goes crashing into the top of the Chrysler building, creating a gigantic hole, which that seems like a very shitty thing to do, damaging such an important landmark. She's going to get a very strongly worded letter from the Historical Preservation Society. Reed explains to her that they're trying to override the defense wall that will close these portals and render the creatures inert. She takes a look and figures out that the code is from a world called Kai-Ai? Which is, which is the world where Hulk's old girlfriend, Jarella, comes from. Like, what the hell? How the hell does a three-year-old girl, Valeria, know anything about Jarella? How does she know anything about the Hulk's love life? John Eden feels like a loser, you know, with a three-year-old figuring this out instead of him. Well, at least we have it, he says. Reed says, we? Uh, no. Lights out for you, and Reed socks him in the face. But first, before they close the portal, they need to contact Sue and get her out of there. Reed calls Johnny, and Johnny calls Sue and tells her that she has five minutes to get out of the... Uh, portal zone, whatever. Sue even tells Franklin that he has five minutes to think the universe out of existence. No pressure. And then Psycho Man punches Sue's force field. She gets knocked over and gets a bloody nose, which sets off Franklin. He screams out, Go away! Back outside the portal, Johnny and Wyatt are still shooting things to keep Sleepwalker's human host safe. When Johnny decides to wreck Wyatt's armor? And then Johnny throws Wyatt off the Baxter building. Some friend. Actually, he did something to, to Wyatt's jetpack, so Wyatt is just flying off the building, albeit out of control. Johnny says there's no point in both of them sacrificing their lives. Inside the portal, the Heroes Reborn New York is being engulfed in a bright void. The original Human Torch suggests uh, they better get out of there fast. But Sue says to Psycho Man, Uh, not you! She puts him behind a force field while she, Franklin, Sleepwalker, Namer, and the original Human Torch speed up out of the city. Johnny says they only have a minute left. Everyone makes it back in time, except the original Human Torch, who is grabbed by the bug creatures. Not sure why he's flamed off. But Johnny Storm jumps in, he goes back, he grabs the original Human Torch away from the monsters, and then the portal closes. And there's a big explosion, which is a relief because I get to use my favorite sound effect in this last episode. As the portal closes, all the bug creatures around the world disappear. And just as Sue thinks the Human Torches are toast, Jim Hammond appears, and then Johnny comes flying out as well, his armor cracks up, 
and he's flying over the city. He yells, flame on, and Johnny has his powers back. I'm not sure how they're going to explain that, but I hope they don't because it's probably going to be really stupid. Next, we see the heroes who had been fighting the Heroes Reborn Avengers, and those fake Avengers all drop dead. And with Reed and Valeria, the quiet man disappears. We see him down on the streets of New York, changing his appearance, making himself look like an old man. He looks kind of like Willie Lumpkin. Scarlet Witch says that the uh, Heroes Reborn Avengers are just empty, lifeless shells. You know, just like when Rob Liefeld was co-writing their book. So later, the entire FF and the two kids are reunited up on top of the destroyed Baxter building. And what now? Sue says they need to rebuild. And Reed says it's a chance to start again and make things better. At this point, why doesn't it occur to them to not rebuild? At least, not in the middle of the most heavily and densely populated city in America. The Fantastic Four attract danger, and by putting their headquarters in Midtown Manhattan, they're putting millions of lives in danger. What is wrong with these people? Next, we have to clear up the matter of Ben killing the Puppet Master. We learn that Reed found out that the Puppet Master is still alive. He's in John Eden's building. So what they did with Ben was they placed the dead body of the Heroes Reborn Puppet Master in the locked room with Ben. And then, Reed has to explain how Johnny got his powers back. It was a combination of Franklin's energy, the portal explosion, and the proximity to the original Human Torch. I knew it would be a bunch of bullshit, and it is. So, you know, it's the final issue. They had to give Johnny his powers back, and not leave that plot thread dangling. That's the real explanation. Johnny says he's going to light up the sky and remind New York that the Fantastic Four are back, and they're not going anywhere. After this big attack, once again, provoked by the Fantastic Four's mere presence in New York, I'm sure the citizens of New York will not be happy to see a giant flaming four in the sky. But that's how our story ends, with Johnny making a big flaming four to terrify and traumatize the fair citizens of the Big Apple. And that brings us to our first backup story. And here's my special guest, uh, take it away. Hi, welcome to the Fantastic Forecast, episode 635, part 2. This here story is called Rekindled by Carl Castle and Joe Bennett. So as Dave said, Johnny's got his powers back and he's flying low, close to the street, and the people seem happy to see him. Hey, it's the torch! Flame on, dude, people are saying. Of course, Johnny is flying by the New York Institute for Pyromania, so what do you expect? He comes he goes by a bank while it's being robbed, he flies inside, and it's the villain Boomerang. Yeah, scary, huh? A guy with a boomerang. That may work in New York City, but he ought to try coming by my neighborhood sometime. His boomerang ain't gonna do shit against my AR-15. So Johnny's got total control over his flames, he says, and he proceeds to burn all the clothes off of 
Boomerang's body. Well, dang. Ain't he itching for a sexual harassment lawsuit right there? Boomerang runs off and people surround Johnny and thank him for chasing off that bad guy. And then, this really sexy lady comes along and she says she wants to have a selfie with Johnny. Uh, you know what that means. It's time to grab her by the pussy. Because when you're a famous superhero, they just let you do it. Or maybe they're just too scared to tell you to stop it. Who knows? And then, Dory Evans shows up. Like Johnny's first girlfriend from the 1960s. And she still done got that 1960s haircut too. You know, whenever a woman has an old-fashioned 1960s haircut, it reminds me of my mother. And I get so turned on. She asked about his burgeoning music career, and he says he got a record deal. He's gonna be a rock star. She says, wow, that's the most amazing waste of time I've ever heard. Obviously, she hadn't heard about that guy who did a podcast for every issue of the Fantastic Four. She says, she don't need all that. He's got the cool, he's already, he's already the coolest superhero there is. He says, she didn't used to think that way, but she reevaluated things after the divorce. I guess that means her alimony is shit and she needs a guy with money. She says, she always wanted a little house with a picket fence. Is that what people want in 2015, a little house with a picket fence? Me, I want a big house with a huge fucking wall. Good walls make good neighbors, by the way. She asked Johnny what he wants. He says he wants to cook dinner for her. What? That must be a typo. I can't imagine no man ever cooking for a woman. Unless that man is Wolfgang Puck and that woman is Rosie O'Donnell. Sorry, random celebrities. Makes no sense. Johnny says he's going to cook a steak. And she says she's a veg veg vegetarian. Okay. Uh, ain't no way some lady with a 1960s haircut is a vegetarian. He offers to cook vegetables at her place, which is code for, I want to bang you nonstop till the sun comes up. So they walk off together. The end. So welcome to part three of episode 635 of this podcast. It's a story It's a story called The Real Real by Louis Simonson and David Marquez. Marquez. And the story starts with Sue out there at night in the wreckage of the Fantastic Four headquarters down on her knees. Hold it, hold it. You didn't tell me there was a story with Sue in it. Sue Richards? Why didn't you have me do that story? Why'd you have me do that Johnny Storm story when you have a Sue Richards story? You know I have the hots for that creature. Well, I, I, I just thought... You didn't think. I want to do that story. Who gives two shits about Johnny and some old ex-girlfriend? Because I love Sue so much. If she were a real person, oh, you can imagine what I'd do to her. Stalker? Oh, she would totally be into me. Begging me for it. She would totally be giving me... A restraining order? You're just jealous because you can't appreciate a real woman like I can. Because you're... Attracted to mannequins? Why don't you finish this story and I'll add color commentary like 
I'll be like John Madden to your pants Summerall. I have no idea who those people are, but very well. So Sue is down on her knees. As it should be. Crying over old, ripped up photographs. If I had photographs of Sue, they wouldn't be ripped up. They'd be soiled. Too much information. By the way, should these old photographs have been destroyed when the building first blew up back in issue uh, 278? You would think. I like the ones where she looks 14. What? Are you going to try to run for a political office, hoping for the presidential endorsement? So Franklin, come, Franklin comes in, sees his mom looking sad, and asks, what's wrong? She screams at him to stop. There's glass on the floor, which she has to cover up with a force field. Maybe she should, you know, sweep the floor, because she is a woman. Moving on, Franklin says that he can't sleep. He's worried about the things that might be created if he dreams. <laughs> hey, Elroy, what kind of stuff do you dream about? I don't know. Porn stars, cheese, cats, jet skis. Yeah, yeah, you and I. We're not so different. She coaxes Franklin to come sit in her lap. Oh, it would not take that much coaxing to get me to sit in her lap. Dude, you're like 300 pounds. You would crush her. So anyway, Sue says it's not Franklin's fault. They're the Fantastic Four. Weird shit happens. But they will stick together and everything will always turn out okay in the end. He points out the busted up building and messed up pictures. And she says that none of that matters. The only thing that matters is the people they love, that they're all okay, and that's what's real. And that is the end of our story. Just a quiet scene of Sue trying to reassure her son that everything will be alright. I'm so hard right now. Oh god, get out of here. I feel like I'm podcasting with Charlie Rose. Next, there's this little feature where uh, former writers and artists on the Fantastic Four give their picks for their favorite covers. And there's one weird selection where John Byrne picks the cover to issue 5, which is not a good cover at all. It's very strange. So anyway, that brings us to our next section. So this is Fantastic Forecast episode 635, part 4, Trash Man, by Tom DeFalco and Tom Grummet, the two Toms. And here we pick up with the thing, picking up large pieces of junk, cleaning up the damage to the city caused by another villain with a grudge against the Fantastic Four. Of course. Some girls walk by and take a selfie with Ben, who's busy thinking that the rest of the team are out having fun while he's hard at work, which is probably true. If anyone should be helping clean up, by the way, it's Sue, because, you know, she's a, she's a, got those force fields that could pick up stuff very easily and move it around. Of course, in this backdrop, a couple of idiots decide to rob a bank or something, and they're shooting back at the cops. Like, how stupid are these people? Like, to, to rob a bank in New York City, a town teeming with hundreds of superheroes? Why don't they go somewhere else? Why don't they go, like, how about, they don't have to go far. Go to, like, Newark, New Jersey. There's no superheroes in Newark. Plus... They run right by the thing who tosses a giant chunk of concrete on their intended getaway car. You really think you can stop us, freak? One of them says, raising his machine gun at Mr. Grimm. Ben asked him if they're in the mood to experience clobber in time. They lay down their guns immediately. 
You know, why don't they just try running away? I can't imagine that Ben is a very fast runner. You know, odd. In all these years, I don't think that subject ever came up. Can Rent, can Ben run fast? So, he can jump, probably. He'll jump after them. So, Ben wraps up the robbers for the cops, but the police ask what they're going to do about that car with the big chunk of concrete on it. Ben has to pick it up and carry it away. The car and the big giant chunk, chunk of concrete. So that's the end of that story. That brings us to... Fantastic Forecast, episode 635, part 5. Time and Tide by Jeff Parker and Pascal Campion. And what a way to end the series. With what I find to be horrible computer-generated artwork. So it's Reed and Valeria on the beach. Franklin and the rest of the team are off in the background. And Reed and Valeria are walking along outside the family cabin. I guess this is the one we saw a few issues ago on the California coast. They stop to dig for clams, I think. And then they hear the sounds of birds. And then Reed goes up a tree to find a nest of baby birds. Yeah, it's one of those tall beech trees. Reed points out a small island off the coast and says that some of his best friends were over there. Val asks how he used to get over there when he was younger. Um, a boat? You dumb little brat. Next, we see them on a boat, and there's a seal swimming beside them, which is very dangerous. You always want to watch out for loose seals so they don't eat your hand off. So now, they're on the island alone. They start to make a campfire. Night falls. The two of them are sitting by the fire, looking at a bunch of fireflies lighting up the darkness. Reed says he was driven by nature to understand the world better. Maybe that's why I was so driven to get out to the stars and see what was out there, he says. Dad, I don't have to justify this. I just like it. And she gives him a little hug. And that's it. That's a, that's a very short story. Like, four... I mean, these stories are just way too short. Like, four or five pages each. I think if they had done, like, one final 20-page story as an epilogue to the main story, that would have been a better choice. But then again, the main story, mostly the new villain, the Quiet Man, was not exactly compelling. It's just too late in the history of the Fantastic Four to introduce this master villain who was behind everything after all these years. I'm not buying it. I call bullshit on the quiet man. He should have stayed quiet. Also, how odd is it that Doctor Doom doesn't make an appearance in this final issue? Not one bit. But I guess there's a good reason for it because the story of the Fantastic Four does not end in the final issue. It ends here. Ah, my favorite musical transition for the last time. Welcome to Fantastic Forecast, episode 635, part 6. It's Free Comic Book Day 2015! Secret Wars, released on May 2nd, 2015. It's Secret Wars Zero, by writer Jonathan Hickman and artist Paul Rinald. 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 Rinald? 
So we're back with the confusingly titled Secret Wars miniseries. I prefer to call it Secret Wars 3 to avoid confusion with the earlier Secret Wars miniseries, even though the actual name of the first series was Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars, which nobody calls it that. I guess I could also call it The Third Secret Wars, or Secret Wars 2015. It seems fitting that I would cover the series as well, since previous episodes 264 covered Secret Wars 1, and episodes 282, 285, and 286, I mean 288, covered Secret Wars 2. And this Secret Wars, more than any other, probably because of Jonathan Hickman's strong association with the Fantastic Four, involves the FF, and especially Doctor Doom, a great deal. I guess Doctor Doom was a huge part of the first Secret Wars way back then, too. I read this series once before when it first came out, and I recall that I hated it. It's very uh, Crisis on the Infinite Earthy, which is not a good thing for the continuity-heavy Marvel Universe. You know, the Marvel Universe does not need to be more like the DC Universe. But they have kind of gone that way, and it, it sucks. And so we start back at the Baxter Building, rebuilt completely in the three days since we last saw it. Valeria Richards is up on front of the, uh, in front of the class of kids, and she starts by insulting them and calling them a bunch of dummies. And she goes on to say that in, in four days, the world is ending. Keep in mind, she's only three years old. Oh, wow, I hate her so much. And she's like the boss of all these other kids. They've all been building separate parts of something, and Dragon Man asks what they've been building. Valeria says, it's a ship. And then we see what they've been building, and it's obviously a ship. Alex Powers has a question, and it seems to him that the ship is some kind of life raft. Valeria admits it. To save as many people from Earth and run, it's a life raft. Bentley says, only the strong survive. I'm taking the Bentley show on the road. Franklin chimes in and says, they tried. I assume he's talking about the Fantastic Four. But nope, turn the page and we see a gathering of the Illuminati, which is never a good thing. We have Mr. Fantastic, the Submariner, Black Bolt, Doctor Strange, Tony Stark, Black Panther, and Captain America. We see Captain America shooting some energy bolts from his hand at some big pink globe. Ugh. I forgot how much information Jonathan Hickman likes to withhold. It makes podcasting on this stuff very difficult. By the way, in the last three days, Steve Rogers is back as Captain America. At least, on the dates these issues were published. And then we see Reed, Black Bolt, and Namor, who's holding some kind of device. And Franklin says they did the unthinkable, destroying worlds. And then there seems to be some argument between them, with Reed breaking it up. And then there's something about Thanos and the Cabal rising up to take their place. And then there's another battle between a large group of superheroes. And then we go back to the kids. Valeria says that the only solution they could come up with where they're not losing is by running away. It's not winning, but it's not losing. It's the only thing, the only hope they have left, she says. And then, four days later, I guess on the last day of the world, we see that's going to happen. Two different Earths 
from different universes are about to collide. Which, isn't this totally ripping off Crisis on the Infinite Earths, right? You know, it's more like Crisis on the uh, Double Earths. And then we see a bunch of heroes flying up into the sky to fight it, whatever it is. We see Iron Man and a bunch of jets flying toward the heroes, and that's it. The end of our little nine-page prologue. Welcome to The Fantastic Forecast, episode 635, part 7. It's Secret Wars, issue 1, released on May 6, 2015. The End Times, by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Rubik. And we start with Doctor Doom. Doctor Strange, and if it's a Secret Wars, we gotta have this guy, Molecule Man. They're standing on some platform, face to face, with this big ball of light and energy, which may or may not be God, could be the Beyonder, or maybe they're just at a planetarium, watching a laser light show. A voice says, we are beyond dreamers, destroyers, all of reality, our whim. Who's that stumbling around in the dark? I am Doom, Dr. Doom replies, which is kind of misleading, kind of a misleading way of introducing himself. His name is Doom, but people may misinterpret that as him saying that he is a cosmic energy, the personification of Doom, which he is most assuredly not. We get a full blank page, a Hickman page, a Hickman page wasting special that says, the multiverse is dying, only two universes remain. Today, Earths collide. You know, with comic books being $4 each now, it seems almost criminal to waste an entire page on that, which could have easily been put in a small caption box on top of a real comic book page. So we go to Manhattan on Earth 1610. It says there's an excursion event imminent. And on this page, a picture of New York, there's plenty of room for that caption from last page. And we go to the Triskelion headquarters of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we see Nick Fury Jr., or it may be Nick Fury Sr., which I think it is Nick Fury Sr. of the Ultimate Universe, even though, why don't they say that instead of calling it Earth 1610? Just say what it is, damn it! So Fury is communicating with Reed Richards, asking how long the world has left. Frankly, how did the Ultimate Universe even make it to the year 2015 anyway? I'll never know. We see Reed at the home of the Cabal, and the children of tomorrow. He's got some weird helmet on his head, and he says that everything dies in a matter of minutes once the worlds collide. And so, his only solution that Nick Fury agrees with is to destroy the other world. But once Reed is done with his call, he's chatting with Thanos, and we learn that Reed was lying. There is no way to save the world by destroying the other world. But Reed says, that the Cabal might enjoy watching them fight. Thanos says, You humans, and your unseemly theatrics. I assume he's talking about this upcoming battle, but he could be referring to Dancing with the Stars. And then we have two big, blank, white pages with the credits and the title of the story. 
Jonathan Hickman is a huge bastard. I mean, really, what a dick. And to even be more of an asshole, there's a fourth blank white page with a list of all the characters in this story. Also, completely unnecessary. You know, when they appear in the story, you could easily just have a name appear on the page or something. You don't need a whole big white page to explain who these people are. So then we go back to Earth Prime, our Marvel Universe, which, I've mentioned this before, is called Earth 616. It was called that by Alan Moore, a creator who hates Marvel Comics, who's never worked for Marvel Comics, and yet, Marvel finds the need to let Alan Moore name their entire universe? And I think that was an intent. I think that was intended as an insult. Earth 616? Really? So we pick up where we left off in the Zero issue with all the heroes racing off into the sky to fight the other Earth. Back in the Baxter building, the Fantastic Four, along with the Black Panther, are loading up their ship with supplies. Reed has a beard now for some reason. And no, not a beard like a Militia Masters, but a, a beard on his face. Now they have to pick up all the people they decided to bring with them to carry on Earth civilization somewhere else. We learn that some of the people they have chosen don't want to go. But they've also got the Beast from the X-Men and, oddly enough, North Star from Alpha Flight. I think. You know, I like North Star, but if this is North Star, he's not going to be much help at repopulating a new planet. Outside, the regular Marvel heroes are doing battle with the forces from the Ultimate Universe led by their Iron Man, who, wasn't he supposed to be like dying way back then, in those early days of the Ultimates? So the Guardians of the Galaxy are there, because why not? They're popular now. The big robots, the Sentinels, have come to help. However, I don't see Moon Knight out there. If he's not going to help on a day like this, what good is he? Colossus does a fastball special with the Hulk, still sporting a mohawk, and the Hulk hits the ship carrying the ultimate Nick Fury and Hawkeye. It's so weird how in back-to-back storylines, the Fantastic Four find themselves facing the heroes of the Heroes Reborn universe, and then the heroes from the second stab at the Heroes Reborn concept, the Ultimate Universe. With their ship messed up, Nick calls their Reed Richards and tells him to launch the Doomsday World Killer Weapon. And then Hulk and She-Hulk and Colossus topple over the damaged ship which goes Bye-bye Ultimate Nick Fury and Ultimate Hawkeye. And then Ultimate Reed launches a second attack and for some reason the Ultimate Spider-Man comes wandering out of one of these machines because because what we need is two Spider-Men. And then as the battle rages we get an email, an email from Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin, addressed to the Lizard. His email address is the Lizard at coldblooded.com. I didn't peg the Lizard as an email kind of guy. And then there's some other email addresses that aren't obvious who they are. The email is basically an invitation to attend an end of the world celebration. And we see that celebration with. The Kingpin, Sandman, Bullseye, and one party crasher, uh, the Punisher, getting his la- getting in his last licks before the end of the world. Back outside, a big ship being flown by the Black Widow crashes, and Sue says they've lost their resurrection team. And then we see Black Panther hooking up some black guy named Eden, not John Eden, I assume, to a machine that can use his powers to find the survivors they need. Next. 
There's a weird bit of business where Cyclops seems to be using the Phoenix powers. I don't get that at all. They end up teleporting the people they need into the life raft and launching it from the Baxter building. Next, the ship is hit by something and a huge section of the ship breaks off, which is carrying Sue, Ben, Johnny, and all the kids. Reed seems sure that Sue can use her force field to keep the chunk together and everybody safe. Reed just has to stretch his arm over, grab the section, and pull it back. But Sue can't keep her shield up. The section breaks apart into a bunch of pieces and every one of them is now dead. Which is kind of sad, but that also includes Valeria, so it's a happy day! Not so much for Reed, who looks pretty horrified. And the issue ends with Reed saying, Now I have lost everything. We have all lost everything my entire life. I believed in better days ahead. I believed in tomorrow. I hid that belief in my heart. But now the walls have fallen. I have been overrun. And then there is an entire blank page again, and all it has is Reed's words, and I hope, I believe. And then on another blank page it says, in nothing. Oh man, Hickman just loves to waste space. And the next page says, Marvel Universe 1961 to 2015, and it says, the Ultimate Universe 2000 to 2015. Even though, didn't the Marvel Universe really start with Marvel Comics back in 1931? You know, Marvel Comics number one. You know, the original Human Torch and the Submariner and then Captain America in 1940. Those guys don't count. Well, anyway, that's the end of the first issue. And so we go on to uh, part eight, which is Secret Wars issue two, released on May 13th, 2015. Doom Messiah by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Rubik. The issue starts with a scene of a young man picking up Thor's hammer for the first time and proving his worth. And we look around and see the room is filled with an entire Thor core. Ugh, I hate the idea of multiple Thors. Thor isn't his superhero name, it's his name. He's Thor. So anyway, Thor Core, what is this shit? The young man asks what to do next, and he's told to bend his knee to honor a big Doctor Doom mask hanging above them on the wall. We learn they're in a place called Doomguard, and next, the young man, who for some reason is wearing a little white banana hammock and nothing else, he's told he has to participate in a series of physical challenges. And first, he has to tell the story of creation, which is that the universe was created by the god, who is Doctor Doom, which is, that's a weird name for a god. Next, he's told that in order to make Doom proud, he has to join them in punishing sinners. Next, in the kingdom of Utopolis, Alex Powers is there, along with Dragon Man and the Subterraneans, which, Dragon Man and the Subterraneans is a great band name. And they explore this hole in the ground, they climb down into this water, and there, gravity is all screwed up. Gravity reverses, and Alex thinks this is cool. But if gravity was reversed, shouldn't he just go flying into outer space? If he didn't have the power to control his own gravity. So they continue to explore this world, and they start to think 
that it's an artificially constructed world. And then they find what appears to be the remains of the big FF lifeboat ship and they start to dig it out. Next, we go back to the Thor Corps. We see them flying around. They pass a group of Captain Britons from the Captain Britain Corps and they arrive at a place called Bar Sinister, which sounds like a pretty cool place to me. Inside, they encounter the X-Men villain, Mr. Sinister. You know, when your last name is Sinister, your path in life is pretty much determined for you. They've come to arrest Mr. Sinister. So they go to Castle Doom, which is being watched over by Galactus, and Doom is there with his so-called High Court. There's a Captain Britain, Doctor Strange is there, Sue Richards and Valeria. Ugh, she's alive? He's been charged with crimes, conspiracies of some sorts. So to settle things, Sinister chooses to meet his accuser in the arena. And that accuser is one of the Captain Britons, but not that Captain Britain. So they get into the arena, and they start to battle with these staffs. And they think that Sinister is defeated when Captain Britain knocks his head off, like literally his head comes off. But Sinister's body just gets up, kicks Captain Britain's ass, puts his head back on, but before he can kill him, Doom, now wearing all white, tells everyone to get down on their knees. Who does this guy think he is? Harvey Weinstein? Doom says that there are some people, heretics and thieves, working to overthrow him, and they seem to be working with that younger Captain Britain. Sue tells Doom to go easy on him, so that so, Cap so that Captain Britain is taken away, and Doom orders Mr. Sinister to be whipped. Sue is about to leave. Now, how much of a punishment is that for a guy whose head comes off and puts, is put back on without any complaint to be whipped? So Sue is about to leave, but Valeria wants to have a conversation with Doctor Strange first. Outside, we see Franklin sitting there in the hand of Galactus, watching over the castle. And then he, he waves to Valeria when they see each other. Valeria tells Doctor Strange about the discovery Alex made about the world. About the world being fake. And Strange orders the, the site to be quarantined. Up on the castle wall. They're about to chop the traitor Captain Britain's head off. But he jumps off over the wall, finds himself fighting off all kinds of zombie type creatures on the ground below. There's like a, a zombie venom and some Ultron robots and Annihilus? It's also very crazy, like, what the hell is going on here? Later, the Highfather guy, the leader of the Thor Corps, and the new Thor are out by that ship, which was found by Alex Powers, looking around, and they open it up, and out comes a spear that goes right through the older guy's chest. He tells the young Thor to run off for help, and another spear comes in and kills the older guy. Inside the ship, we see standing there, it's Thanos and, it, and his cabal, consisting of uh, Terox, Namor, Maximus, Reed Richards, aka the Maker, and Black Swan, and Proxima Midnight. No idea who those two are. What is this place? Thanos asks. Yeah, I'd like to know too. He grabs a subterranean who's nearby and tells him that it's Doom's, the subterranean tells him, that it's Doom's world, but they also call it, dramatic pause, cut to a blank white page 
that says Battle World. After that, we get a whole map of Battle World, and it shows all these different kingdoms. There's Doomstadt, Higher Avalon, the War Zone, New Mars, Spider Island, New Xandar, Weird World, the Valley of Doom, and Greenland. <laughs> Greenland? Why Greenland? In total, there's 41 different places, and many of them have their own Secret Wars tie-in miniseries, if I recall. So that takes us to Fantastic Forecast, episode 635, part 9, It's Secret Wars, issue 3, released on June 3rd, 2015, The Eye of Doom, by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Rabik. So back in the throne room of Doctor Doom, he's getting a report on the recent events of his kingdom from Doctor Strange. Doom asks why Strange is wasting his time on such banalities. I ask myself the same question every time I do one of these podcasts. Strange says that while Doom is all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, so he needs to know shit. They go for a little walk outside. We learn that Doctor Strange could have been god of this universe instead of Doom, but he turned down the power. Strange gets a message. He says it's foreboding news from Doomguard. So later, in the kingdom of... Utopolis, Doctor Strange shows up to see the dead body of that older Thor guy who was killed. He asks the younger Thor what happened, and Strange says he's going to go have a look, a closer look, into this. He senses the presence of that Cabal, and he tells the Thors to go look for them. And then, Strange senses the presence of someone else. He tells them to come out, and it's... it's... uh, the Ultimate Universe Spider-Man. He says he snuck on the ship, he knows nothing about the other people on it. Strange is surprised that this Spider-Man remembers the world he was on previously. He remembers the Ultimate Universe! Unlike a lot of comic book readers. Back at Castle Doom, Sue and Doom are chatting. Sue says she's heard the locals talk rumors about the Man in the Sun, which seems to be the Human Torch they're talking about. Turns out, Johnny was killed for rebelling against Dr. Doom. And actually, his punishment was being turned into the sun that lights the sky of Battleworld. Doom goes on to say that he wasn't always a god. And he feels, since his people are restless, he's not a perfect god. He even says, I'm beginning to think that in my perfect world, I am the one flawed thing. I kind of get the impression that this is the same Doctor Doom that came from Earth Prime, while this invisible woman is not. And this brings us to the most notable moment in the Secret Wars series. Doctor Doom mentions that with all his power, he hasn't been able to fix his face. Sue asks him to take his mask off, which he does. And for the first time, we get a real look at Doctor Doom with his mask off. Now here's the thing. After the explosion in college, he had a big scar running down his face. And then, 
when he got that Doctor Doom mask on for the first time, he put the mask on while it was still hot. So basically, he should look like Deadpool. His face should be all burnt up. That's what he should look like. But here's what he looks like when he takes the mask off. He's got bad skin, of course, but his nose is gone. He's got no nose. Why? What the hell happened to his nose? Also, we see his teeth. He's got terrible teeth. He's got poor people teeth. I guess while I'm wearing that mask all the time, it makes it hard to brush your teeth or go to the dentist. Still, missing a nose and having bad teeth isn't really what I expected from a maskless Dr. Doom. So next, at the hidden aisle of Agamotto, Doctor Strange is taking Ultimate Spider-Man and that young Thor guy to his Sanctum Sanctorium, where he has another vessel from the worlds that were destroyed. He opens it up, and this was a ship from Earth Prime, and out comes the real Spider-Man, Star-Lord, the female Thor, and Captain Marvel. The two Spider-Men recognize each other as Peter Parker and Miles Morales, no idea how they know each other. Strange is curious if any others survived. And Captain Marvel points back that she says there's a few more. And there are there is Cyclops with the Phoenix powers, which why? And Reed Richards and the Black Panther. Doctor Strange has to fill them in that in eight years that eight years have passed, this new world was formed from the remains of two old worlds and no, rem no one remembers the worlds before. And he mentions a god who controls the ministries of science. God, who is this god you're talking about? Reed asks. Like, does he really need to ask? When Strange says, the god is doom, everyone seems surprised. Like, why? Why are they surprised? Even Reed and Spider-Man were there for the first Secret Wars, when Doom took the powers of the Beyonder and became essentially a godlike being. No need to be surprised here. That night, we see Thanos and his crew out by the campfire. Boy, I bet Thanos is a, a lot of laughs on a camping trip. When I was in Boy Scouts, I shared my tent with Worse. They've noticed that the sun, which is Johnny Storm, seems to revolve around the planet, which is very odd. Someone suggests that they go have a look around the planet, but Thanos says that soon, answers will come to them. How does he know that? Well, anyway, he looks up into the sky, and the entire Thor Corps is flying down to greet them, and probably not in a friendly way. Welcome to episode 635, part 10. It's Secret Wars 4, released on July 1st, 2015. All the angels sing, all the devils dance, by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Rabik. And so the Thor Corps attacks Thanos and the Cabal, which I should remind you are the survivors from the Ultimate Universe, even though it seems like they're from the normal Marvel Universe. So anyway, they have a big battle, but we go back to Doctor Strange's lair, where he's filling in the survivors from the normal Marvel Universe on what happened, basically what happened in issue one that wasn't explained. And that was that Doom, Doctor Strange, and the Molecule Man were on that platform looking at God or whatever. Strange mentions the Beyonders. 
Which is odd, we don't know more about the Beyonders. But Strange, Doom, and Molecule Man killed the Beyonders and took their powers. Well, Doom took their powers. And then they saved everything he could and brought it there to Battle World, or whatever else they want to call it. And now Doctor Strange serves Doctor Doom, since he is, you know, God. Cyclops, meanwhile, is glowing with the Phoenix power, and he suggests burning everything down and starting over. Oh sure, he would say that. You know, Phoenix powers and all. Thor's hammer starts to glow, and he has no idea why. Back with the Thors and the Cabal, the Thors aren't doing too well, and at Castle Doom, Aethor tells Doctor Doom of the trouble they're having, and Doom leaves to go check it out, with Valeria and Sue tagging on behind. They're wearing their, their butt-ugly Future Foundation uniforms for some reason. Jonathan Hickman must love those. Doom takes a look in the viewer and he sees the fight as it's going on. Sue suggests Doom take these uh, Cabal goons seriously. And then they see Doctor Strange and the Marvel heroes and Miles arrive to join the fray. Doom, a godlike being, keeps asking Valeria for her advice. She's like three or four years old. Or maybe like eight years have passed, so like she's 11 or 12. Still, he's a godlike being. Jesus, I hate Valeria so much. And then we see the Reed Richards, the real Reed Richards out there. And this gets Doom's attention big time. He teleports out to the scene immediately. He calls out for Richards, and Reed is like, It's really you, isn't it, Victor? Look at what you've made. Yeah, a shitty, boring world. Congrats, Dr. Doom. Reed says he couldn't help but notice that Doom put himself on the throne. And Spider-Man adds, Yeah, we're all absolutely shocked by that. Just floored. Being sarcastic. Thanos has something to say. He says that anyone who's a god would not be afraid to say it. Doom responds by saying, I am God. So there you go, in your face, Thanos. Doom makes an explosion. Everyone goes flying all over the place. He says he'll give everyone a moment to adjust. And then he expects them all to bend the knee. But then he gets zapped by Cyclops Phoenix, who melts the shit out of Doom and his outfit. He looks very surprised. Cyclops says the future is theirs. But Doom gets up, grabs Cyclops by the neck, lifts him up, and says the dream is over, and he snaps his neck. And then Doctor Doom does some stuff and teleports all the heroes away before Doom can kill them too. He says they would have refused to bow to him, so he's just saving Doom all the trouble. And then Strange refuses to bring them back. He's decided to turn against his boss. He says that Doom still seems afraid of Reed Richards. You know what, old friend? I think you should be, he says. And then Doom zaps the shit out of him and kills him. Now it's time for episode 635, part 11. It's Secret Wars, issue 5, released on August. Something something. <laughs> released in August 2015. It's by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Ribic. 
So Doctor Doom, Sue, and her kids, the Thor Corps, they've all gathered for a ceremony for Doctor Strange where they reveal a statue of Doctor Strange to go along with the statue of Molecule Man. Yeah, a statue of Molecule Man. This really is some kind of bizarro world. Franklin puts some flowers on the statue of Doctor Strange and says to himself that when he finds out who did this, he will make them pay. You know, he's not very bright, is he? Of course Doctor Doom is responsible. Who else would it be? Later at night, Valeria is out alone by the statue and she's joined by Doctor Doom, who she calls Dad. And she, feel, she feels responsible for what happened to Doctor Strange. So the kids think it was Thanos and his crew, or Reed Richards and his crew, that killed Doctor Strange. And Doom sends Valeria out to find him. Valeria runs off, and Doom quietly curses at the statue. Damn you, Steven. I guess he's not too happy that he has to lie to his so-called daughter. We get a little flashback to Doom, Strange, and Molecule Man and their encounter with the Beyonders. Or I think it's a flashback. First there's definitely a flashback where we see uh, Molecule Man and Strange and the Doctor Doom attacking the Beyonders, but then we have a part where Molecule Man is hungry and he asks Doom if he brought anything to eat. You know, I think Doom is kind of a bring-your-own-snacks kind of guy. And then Doom mentions that Doctor Strange is dead, so this is definitely not a flashback. It's very confusing. We get some exposition from Molecule Man about the Beyonders, who were bored and curious, who created Molecule Man to destroy the multiverse. But Molecule Man developed his own free will and is not too keen on the idea of destroying the multiverse. And there's something about these, this Black Swan character who was created to kill the different Molecule Men across the different dimensions, which seems like a very unnecessary bit of detail about Molecule Man's backstory. Who gives a shit? This stuff about the Black Swans and Molecule Man had better come into play later in the series or, or else. Then we see Doom, Strange, and uh, Eminem on the floating platform facing the Beyonders, killing them and sucking up their powers, and storing it all inside Molecule Man, and then Doom decides who, do, who lives and who dies. And then Doctor Doom is talking to Molecule Man again, which is clearly in the present. This is, is some kind of other dimension uh, where Molecule Man is hanging out, and then there's flashbacks mixed in to make it extra confusing. I had forgotten how confusing Hickman can be. Ugh. Molecule Man says to Doom that killing Strange may unravel everything they have created. As Doom leaves, Molecule Man tells him to bring some food next time he comes. So back at the Future Foundation headquarters, Valeria is barking orders at the rest of the Future Foundation. Dragon Man, Bitly, Amoloid, Alex Powers, Black Bolt's son, and for some reason, Psycho Man. Bentley still wears the number 13, even though there's not 13 of them anymore. They've noticed that most of the people on the world derive power from Doctor Doom, except for one person, Doctor Strange, whose powers were independent. And they figure that he must have been the one who teleported the Outsiders away recently. Valeria promised to find out who those Outsiders are 
and where they came from and what they want. And we end the story with one of those outsiders, Thanos, looking at some Thor memorial statues and grinning. So now it's episode 635, part 12. It's Secret Wars, issue 6, released on October 7th, 2015, by Jonathan Hickman and uh, Isad Ribic. The story is called, We Raised Them Up Just So We Can Pull Them Down. Are they talking about my pants? And so three weeks have passed. Doom is a bit depressed that disorder and rebellion has been increasing across his world. I guess we'd have to read the dozens and dozens of other crossover books to see all that. And we learn that they have captured a couple of members of Thanos' group, Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight. And they still haven't learned the plans of the rest of the group yet, who are still out there. Later at Future Foundation headquarters, Valeria and her group... Is she still three years old? She's four, she's twelve. I cannot tell how old she is based on how she's drawn. No idea at all. Alex points out these drones that he's found and says that somebody is looking for something. And we go back to Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards from the normal Earth, and the Maker, Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe. They've been looking for something, namely looking for ways to defeat and destroy Doctor Doom. They go over some of the probe footage they have. Reed Prime says they need to come up with how Doom got all that power. Boy, is he going to shit his pants when he finds out it's more Beyonders. I do miss seeing the Beyonder with the Jerry Curl. That was good stuff. Outside Castle Doom, the two Spider-Men, which is one Spider-Man too many if you ask me, are looking for the source of power, and they come across Valeria, who Peter recognizes, but she doesn't recognize him. He's the real Spider-Man. She's not the real Valeria. The real Valeria is dead. I say that to myself with glee. Pete has, been, has a scanning device that Valeria recognizes as being made by the same person who made those drones, although she doesn't recognize the name Reed Richards. She asks if they had any part in killing Doctor Strange, and they say no. So she's not inclined to tell Doctor Doom about this meeting. And then there's a scene similar to the one with Doctor Doom, where the two Spider-Men are going into that void to meet with Molecule Man. What is this? Why is this not being explained as to what the hell this is? Pete recognizes, I mean, how do people get into this dimension? Where is this dimension? What is going on here? Peter recognizes Molecule Man, who still is hungry. Fortunately for him, Miles has a hamburger in his pocket. What the hell? Who carries a hamburger in their pocket? By the way, this hamburger turns out to be very, very, very important for Miles Morales. By the way, this is the character that everyone is so crazy about. What a weirdo who carries a hamburger in his pocket. Also, it's been there for eight years, but Molecule Man eats it anyway. You know, in all fairness, it may be from McDonald's, and it takes more than eight years for one of those damn things to break down a rot. Peter asks for the source of Doom's powers, and Molecule Man says he is it. We get a little more exposition from a group meeting with Doctor Doom that includes Apocalypse, Mr. Sinister, 
the Maestro, and Madeline Pryor. What a weird group. About how Thanos, they don't know who he is, has raised an army and is attacking all over the world. And later, there's a meeting of Mr. Sinister and Captain Marvel, and he tells her that Doom wants to send a complement of warriors to disabuse the non-believers of their sinful ways. Whatever that means. She punches him in the face, and he says, Let's be naughty. And she says, Now you're talking. What the hell is going on there? There's like... First of all, Captain Marvel is from our world. Mr. Sinister is from Doom's world. How the hell do they know each other? How the hell have they hooked up and become, like, lovers? Really? Is that a thing? So later, at Doctor Strange's vacant headquarters, the Submariner and Black Panther show up. They use the key of Agamotto given to them by Doctor Strange to open the doors. Inside, they get a pre-recorded message from Doctor Strange, and we learn that he's left a couple of objects for them. The Siege Coriolis, an object that will teleport them wherever they want to go, and a second item. He says it's geographically restricted to Doomstadt, the home of Castle Doom, and that item is the Infinity Gauntlet. Man, people love this Infinity Gauntlet. Of all the crazy ultimate super weapons over the years created by writers of Marvel Comics, has any of them become as iconic as the Infinity Gauntlet? Back at the castle, Sue is putting Franklin to bed, and he says that he and Galactus went fishing that day. They went fishing. What the deal? What's the deal with Galactus here? There is no explanation given as to what the hell is going on with Galactus, which is very odd. Franklin says he wants to hear a bedtime story about the Fantastic Four, and Sue gives him the story of the origin of this world's Fantastic Four, which includes Sue and Johnny, Ben Grimm, and her father, Franklin Storm, instead of Reed Richards. The four of them were in that rocket ship, it crashed, they gained powers, the world ended, and they ended up on the new one with Doctor Doom, which is who becomes Franklin and Valeria's father. Now, the fact that Doom is their father makes me wonder about the real Franklin and Valeria. Is he their father too? I mean, they look the same. Shouldn't they look drastically different if they have different fathers? Why the hell do they look the same now that Doom is their father? Next, at a S.H.I.E.L.D. detention area, Thanos is sitting around with a very large rock monster and chatting with him. And that rock monster is Ben Grimm, who works at keeping the nightmares out, whatever that means. By the way, Thanos, how did he get into the S.H.I.E.L.D. detention area? What is this place? We have no explanation as to what's going on now, but he does tell Ben that Doom put him here to keep him out of the way, and he tells Ben about the world he came from, about the Fantastic Four and everything. Thanos gives Ben a pep talk about not living on his knees and not taking Doom's bullshit. So Ben, he gets up, he's all excited, he breaks up out of S.H.I.E.L.D. detention center, and we see that he is a massive, gigantic, Godzilla-sized rock monster creature. We start with a prophet, speaking of liberty to the people of Battleworld Planet, 
speaking of freedom, marching them to the Castle of Doom to cast out God himself. Who is this prophet? This leader of men? It's me, you idiots, Maximus the Mad says. It's quite an odd moment, where it seems that he's breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to the readers. In his chambers, Doom, along with Sue, Valeria, and that black swan chick. If she ever shows up in a Marvel movie, will she be played by Natalie Portman? They're watching the battle unfold outside. Sue is confident that the rebels will be turned back, but Valeria, who at times is drawn so much like Sue, I have a hard time telling them apart. Valeria says, You're wrong, Mom. This feels different. This is something more. Doom agrees. And he says, Yes, summon my Thors! Uh, whenever I'm having a bad day, I like to say that myself. Summon my Thors! It never works. People just look at me funny. Out in the battle, Mr. Sinister and Captain Marvel, he calls her sister. Is that a thing? I thought they were doing each other in the last issue. That seems unlikely. The two of them were fighting on Doom's side, but they flipped and they start fighting against Doom's people, including Madeline Pryor and her goblin army. Ah, poor Mr. Sinister loses his head again! An apocalypse comes along and he scoops it up! And they continue to exchange words! Apocalypse talking to Mr. Sinister's severed head. Back with the Thors, they seem to realize that Doctor Doom is not God. After all, why would God need a PhD? So the Thors take off to Castle Doom, and they arrive to fight against Doom's armies. One of them smites Apocalypse, who drops Sinestro's... not Sinestro's... who drops Sinister's head. It took 635 episodes, but I finally used the word smite. Back inside, Doom's like... I am betrayed again! Ah, shit. And then a big helicopter arrives, carrying Maestro which is the older version of Hulk, that I never saw the appeal of Maestro. What's so special about stupid Maestro? So he leads an entire army of Hulks. I guess we could say they're jumping from a Hulk carrier, and they join the battle on Doom's side. <coughs> Back with Reed, Maximus, and Star-Lord, they have a plan to break into the castle and steal what Reed calls the most valuable thing that's left in the multiverse. Huh. What is that? Susan Storm, Richards, Von Doom? Outside with Submariner and Black Panther, who has the Infinity Gauntlet and the Siege Coriolis doorway. He tears down a wall, and on the other side, a bunch of those zombie creatures we saw earlier. Are they mom? Are they from the series Marvel Zombies? And he promises them a great battle if they travel through the Siege Coriolis. They all scream, Glory and honor! Glory and honor! <laughs> Apparently, excited by the idea of. Uh, a great battle and of glory and honor. And that is the end of the seventh issue. So we're back with part 14. It's Secret Wars issue 8, released on December 9th, 2015. Under Siege by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Rubik. So 
So we start with Reed Richards, Peter Quill, and Reed Richards in a ship on their mission to Castle Doom. And over near the castle, the older Hulk, the maestro, he's overseeing a symphony of violence down below. He's saying that after he takes care of all these other armies attacking the castle, he's going after God, aka Doctor Doom. When the thing comes along, he's like a giant galactic-sized thing. He smashes the area that Maestro is standing on, which is Maestro's ship, which is now crashing. And then Ben grabs the ship and smashes it into the ground. This gets the attention of Sue and Doctor Doom. And Sue tells Black Swan to go do her, I don't know, her Black Swanny stuff. Outside, Terax is screaming some nonsense up at Galactus, who steps on him. Squish. Back with Star-Lord and the Reeds, they land on the top of the castle. Peter has to fix the ship while the two Reeds go inside to do, uh, you know, Mr. fantastic stuff. Meanwhile, as the cover promises, we get a nice fist fight between the big thing and Galactus. Which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, a 22-page fight between the two of them would be really badass, but we don't get that. Back inside, Sue asks Dune to put an end to all this, which, with his godlike powers, he could stop easily, but you know how gods are. They like seeing bad shit happen. And then after the dust clears, the gods like to see who still worships them, and they get a cookie. During the fight, it becomes obvious that Galactus is being controlled by Franklin. So that kind of takes the fun out of it. What happened to Frank What happened to Galactus's brain? Then there's a loud noise as Thanos and the Annihilation Horde arrive. Which that's going to be the name of my new death metal band, Thanos and the Annihilation Horde. With this, Doom teleports away. Back with Franklin, he says something about Doom being his father, which freaks the shit out of the big thing who loses his interest in fighting. He tells Franklin to do what he has to do. And so Galactus punches Ben so hard, his big rocky body shatters all over the place. And he's dead. Back with Valeria. She has some kind of wild idea and asks her mom if she trusts her, and she does. So she takes Sue off somewhere to do, you know, Valeria stuff. Outside, the Black Swan finds Peter Quill working on his ship. She tells him that she destroys everyone who stands against her boss, her god, Doom. Peter yells back at her that he's not scared. Unfortunately, no dance-off challenges forthcoming. She starts beating the shit out of him, but he pulls out what looks like a toothpick. But it starts to grow and grow and grow into you-know-who. No, it's not Moon Knight. It is Groot. And he gets so big, he collapses a huge chunk of Castle Doom. So far, this is my favorite issue of the Secret Wars series. More fun moments like this would be nice. Elsewhere, Sue and Valeria are running along outside the castle when they come across Reed Richards and Reed Richards. Well, this could be awkward now that Sue is Dr. Doom's gal. So outside, Doom appears and he has a confrontation with Thanos. Thanos reminds Doom that with the Infinity Gauntlet, he once had the power of a god. Do you have the Infinity Gauntlet now? Doom asks. Well, no. Not yet, he says. So Doctor Doom proceeds to punch a, his hand into Thanos' chest, 
and pull his skeleton out of his body. Which, you have to give Doom points for pulling off the ultimate Mortal Kombat finishing move. Next, Doom looks over at Annihilus, who is like, Well, yes, God. Whatever do you want. Whatever you want. Doom tells Annihilus to do that thing he does, you know, annihilating things. And then the doorway thing appears and all the Marvel zombies come pouring out, which Doom is not happy about. And then out comes the Submariner and Black Panther, who says, Your reign is over, and it ends with us. And Black Panther, he does have the Infinity Gauntlet, so some shit might happen. Plus, there's only one more issue, so shit's definitely gotta happen. So, welcome to Fantastic Forecast, episode 635, part 15, is Secret Wars, issue 9, released on January 13th, 2016, Beyond, by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Ribic. So clearly, Doom is a little scared. He tries to make an offer to the two guys to remake Wakanda and to raise a new Atlantis and then they could be oh so happy. But Black Panther ain't having none of that. He don't know friggin fake kingdom and still be subjected to the whims of a vain fraud. I guess he won't be attending any state dinners at the White House in a year or so. So Doom asks what now? Will the Black Panther take all the power for himself? Well, what he does is do... He, what he does is... He raises his fist, uses the gauntlet to turn Doctor Doom to glass, and Namor chunks his trident at Doom, and he shatters him into a million pieces. Namor says, It can't be that easy. And it isn't. Doom reforms himself, saying, That hurt. Doom gets up, and he fires back at the Panther. Back with Sue and Reed and Valeria and Reed. Sue remembers Reed as the guy who was part of a group that murdered Doctor Strange. Reed says it was Doom that murdered Doctor Strange. Sue says Doom is God. Reed says he's just a dude named Victor. Reed says he's gonna put things back the way they belong and end this charade. Sue is like, who are you really? Reed says, my name is Reed Richards, and I'm the one who fixes things. Which, he should be, because 90% of the time, he's the one who breaks things. And then, another of those weird scenes in the void, now where the two Reeds are in the void, meeting with Molecule Man, who, when asked how he feels, replies that he's starving. He always wants to eat. Who does he think he is? Volcana? The two reeds discuss how Molecule Man is a repository for all of Doctor Doom's powers. Ultimate Reed Richards pulls out this device he's been working on, a device that is capable of creating a proper temporal bubble. Well, that sounds useful. For betraying Marvel Universe Reed, which he does, he uses it on our Reed and, de and he devolves back into an ape man and then into non-existence, it seems. Bad Reed asks, Who's interested in a weepy god? Molecule Man says that he is, and he slices Ultimate Reed into pieces of meat, which is rather gross. 
he brings back the real Reed, and he warns him that he will be here soon. Who's going to be here soon? Doom? I assume. Why can't he just say Doom is going to be here soon? But currently, Doom is fighting the Black Panther. But the Panther is finally defeated by Doctor Doom. But after that happens, the Black Panther still smiles, and Doom wonders why. The Panther reveals he was just trying to distract Doom, which he did successfully. Doom teleports over to Sue and Valeria, who ask him if it's all true. If what is true? For all Doom knows, Sue could be asking if it's true that wrestling is fake. She mentions Doctor Strange, and Doom says nothing and walks away. Next, Doom appears in the void with Reed and Molecule Man. Reed tells Doom that he came there to convince Molecule Man that there was a better solution than having Doom as God. Doom rubs Reed's face in the fact that his entire family is dead, and when he tries to use his powers on Reed, Molecule Man withholds the power. Doom didn't bring a snack. Again. So Molecule Man says it's even, and decides to let Doom and Reed fight it out, without Doom's godlike powers. So they start fighting, Reed wraps himself around Doom like a boa constrictor. Doom asks Reed if he thinks he could have done a better job in such a dire situation. Reed says he could have, but you know, he didn't. Reed made that stupid life raft, that was a crap idea. Doom's idea to steal the power from the Beyonders, that's a much better idea. Reed squeezes, screaming for Dr. Doom to die. Owen the Molecule Man says, Okay then, if you both agree... Agree on what? They don't say. Wait, no, Doom says. But Molecule Man puts something into effect, tearing the battle world apart and recreating the Earth again, only slightly different. Depending on the whims of the various other writers working for Marvel at the time, we see the Black Panther return to his kingdom of Wakanda. He encounters a few of his people and he starts to discuss the fact that America has abandoned their space program and now Wakanda has the preeminent space program on the planet. Well, holy shit. Like, what is this about? What is this scene about? The Wakandan space program? A spaceship launches and the Black Panther says that this is their alpha flight? What the hell does that mean? What is this scene? So eight months later, in the Marvel Universe, and what they are officially calling the Prime Earth, 616 no longer, I assume, we see that Miles Morales has been saved from the doomed Ultimate Universe by Molecule Man and putting him on the normal Earth. Molecule Man is on hand to thank him for the hamburger. Yes, the Ultimate Spider-Man survived because he gave the Molecule Man a hamburger. And since Marvel hasn't created any decent black characters since the 1970s, they can't get rid of Miles Morales. Even though, can't they give him another superhero identity? I mean, last I checked, there was already a Spider-Man. Don't these people ever sue each other over these copycat superhero identities? And we see he's hanging out with the real Spider-Man, and they swing off together to go fight some crime. And then, the final scene. We have to find out what happens to the Fantastic Four, don't we? Why else would I be reviewing this shitty miniseries? 
We see most of the FF are back alive. We see Sue and Valeria. Uh, the Future Foundation kids are there. So is Molecule Man. We learn that Molecule Man still has all the Beyonder power, but now it's being controlled by Reed Richards. And he has Franklin's help, who is a universal shaper. He's basically in charge of creating new universes. I guess he's now like the Tommy Westfall of the Marvel Universe. Ugh. He creates these ideas and Reed, using the power from Molecule Man, creates them and sends them off into space. And the rest of the FF are going to be like explorers going off and exploring and cataloging all these new universes. Well, that sounds like an impossible task. Even more impossible than recording a podcast for every issue of the Fantastic Four. Sue goes over and puts her arm around Reed and says, This sure is something. Franklin asks his dad, Are we not superheroes anymore? Reed says they're just scientists now, but they can still do good work. Sue does mention Ben and Johnny, and how they can't be there with them. They have other stuff to do elsewhere. The issue comes to an end with a speech from Reed Richards. And we see Dr. Doom for the final time. Reed says, I used to believe in universal contraction, entropy, and the end of all things. Well, I've changed my mind. I'm letting go. We see Dr. Doom and he's back at his castle and his mask is off and Reed has healed Doom's face. Something he couldn't do for himself with his power. Reed continues, because now I believe in expansion. I believe we endure. Don't you see? Everything lives. And we see Dr. Doom, and he's happy and laughing at these turn of events. And that is it. The end of the Fantastic Four. And so after seven years, 635 episodes, 20 special episodes, four Christmas specials, we are done. There's no more issues of the Fantastic Four to cover. Unless I wanted to do miniseries and stuff, which I don't want to do. I was just thinking something. How weird is it for mainstream comic book superheroes to get an ending like this? It really never happens. Everything usually just goes on and on and on, month after month after month. Even if they reboot a book, they don't give a proper ending to the characters in the previous continuity. The closest thing that I can think of is Alan Moore's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, which is kind of like a farewell story, an ending for the pre-crisis Superman. But still, even after that, Superman was back the next month. Has any book ever well as well-known and as iconic as the Fantastic Four ever been cancelled and stayed on ice for so long? I think there was a time where Marvel didn't publish Thor for a while. I'm not sure. But here it feels like the Fantastic Four definitely have a real, honest-to-goodness ending. Heck, how can they bring back Reed and his family after this? He's like, you know, the god of the Marvel Universe now. It's pretty crazy if you ask me. 
If I never read another new Fantastic Four story, I'm cool with that. I like that there is an ending out there, and it's not bad. It's not great, but I can live with it. When they rebooted Spider-Man with One More Day, I stopped reading Spider-Man. As far as I'm concerned, that was the last Spider-Man story, and I still have 40 years of Spider-Man stories to read and enjoy. I don't need to read anything brand new day or later. To me, Spider-Man is done. And I feel like that about the Fantastic Four. They're done. And if they're done, that's cool. It's hard to believe the book's been gone for about two and a half years now. Although Ben and Johnny are coming back in Marvel 2-in-1 soon, there will be another Fantastic Four book eventually, someday. Maybe in 2018? Maybe even longer? I saw recently where Disney was trying to buy the Fox movie studio. And if that happens, or if Disney somehow got the movie rights back to the Fantastic Four some other way, maybe a joint deal like they have with uh, Spider-Man and Sony, and in that case I'm sure we'll see the Fantastic Four comic book immediately. Otherwise, I don't know what they have planned for the world's greatest comic magazine. I assume they just can't let it lapse for too long. Otherwise, we'll have like a Captain Marvel trademark situation where, DV where DC starts publishing a Fantastic Four comic of their own. Now, when the Fantastic Four return, will the Fantastic Four cast return? I don't know. It depends on how I feel. If they bring back the classic Fantastic Four with their entire continuity intact, I'll probably start the podcast again. If they do some weird continuity-altering stuff like like with Spider-Man, oh, the marriage never happened. Or with Daredevil, oh, nobody knows his secret identity anymore. I probably won't start the podcast again. Unless it's like, oh, Valeria doesn't exist anymore. And then I will very enthusiastically restart the podcast again. And what about me? What will I do next? Other than teaming up with OJ to find the real killers, continue and expand my ballet school for dogs. You know, it sounds funny, but it's going to be the next big thing, I promise. Big thing, I promise. And I'll be performing around the country at gay nightclubs under my drag name, Sharon Ventura. They call me Miss Thang. And I'll be writing my autobiography, Seven Years a Slave to the Fantastic Four, the Dave Elliott story. So, uh, I'll be very, very busy. But I do want to go back uh, to doing a podcast that I started a few years ago called Comic Book Doggerel, which was too time-consuming to do two podcasts at the same time, so I stopped after like five episodes. But it is sufficiently weird enough and unique enough for me to want to go back and uh, restart it. But I'll tell you what. Here's some advice if you ever want to start a podcast. Don't limit yourself to one comic book. Limiting myself to the Fantastic Four only, issue after issue, <laughs> issue after issue, it tended to get very tedious at times, especially during runs that I wasn't particularly fond of. For example, slogging my way through the Fraction and the Robinson runs, they were not enjoyable at all. Who would choose to do a podcast about those issues? Not me. But I felt kind of, like, locked into doing that, after all, since that's what the podcast is. That's why the return of the Fantastic Forecast 
is contingent upon whether or not I want to read Volume 4. And considering how little appeal any of Marvel's other corporate comics have nowadays, I don't think the odds of me being interested in Volume 6 are very good. The cool thing about the other podcast, Comic Book Dog Roll, is that I can discuss any comic book I want. So far, all I've done are like five of the worst comic books I have ever read. But they won't always be bad comics. Just whatever I feel like doing at the time. Now the one thing I don't like about it is the name. Comic Book Doggerel. It's hard to spell Doggerel. I have a hard time with it. And it's bad when you have a hard time spelling the name of your own podcast. I need to come up with a new name and... And as of this recording, I still haven't come up with a new name yet. I'll definitely come up with something before I post this podcast. Okay, so I'll... Okay, here, here's what I'll do. The new name is... Comic Book Menace. That's right. The name of my revamped Comic Book Doggo podcast is... Comic Book Menace. So I'll just go back later and... Edit that in. And you can find the podcast... Uh, you'll probably be able to find it on iTunes, I suppose. I plan to restart it in... Uh, late December with my favorite thing of all the Christmas special you know my absolute favorite episodes of the Fantastic Forecast are the Christmas episodes especially the first the first Christmas special that's my favorite episode of them all but I ran out of like Christmas stories anyway with the Fantastic Four I have a few Marvel and DC Christmas stories that I'm considering so later in December look for Comic Book Menace and I'll post a first episode, a Christmas special. So back to the Fantastic Forecast. One of the things I've always enjoyed about doing the podcast is going back and reading these comics and really reading them, paying attention to details. Because when I was a kid, I could only afford like five to ten comics a month, and I read the shit out of them over and over again. But as an adult, I have so many comics and I'm always buying these big collected editions and I have a bad tendency to read through stuff very quickly like I have all four Master of Kung Fu omnibuses which I read through so quickly I really can't recall very much about them so it's nice to take your time go slow enjoy the details don't rush take your time to pay attention to what's going on it's good advice for reading comics and good advice for life. And so if you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at podcastff, which I'm probably not going to be posting on very much anymore. And I never did. And you can still find all the old episodes at www.podcastff.podbean.com. As for the Fantastic Four, I'm sure they'll be around in places that they've never been for reasons we can't understand, like Ben in the Guardians of the Galaxy. What's up with that? And so, if you ever need a complicated invention 
to be created in 10 minutes to save the world, Reed Richards will be there. And if you ever need a complicated invention to be created in two minutes to save the world, three-year-old Valeria Richards will be there. Whenever you need a force field to save you at the last second from a giant explosion. Yeah, like that. Susan Richards will be there. Whenever you need a handsome, rich, and famous white guy to whine and bitch about his women problems, Johnny Storm will be there. Whenever you need a shitload of taxicabs demolished and destroyed, Ben Grimm, The Thing, will be there. Whenever the world is threatened by deadly aliens coming to Earth from a portal opened by the Fantastic Four, the Fantastic Four will be there. Whenever the citizens of New York are anxious, can't sleep, filled with dread, the Fantastic Four will be there to make it worse. Whenever you need an anachronistic 1960 superhero team comprised of a white nuclear family that feels out of touch with the sensibilities of the modern comic book reader, the Fantastic Four will be there. And that is that. So, it looks like I'm done here. That's all I got. So long, kids. This podcast is over. Like, really, over. A week ago he said to me, do you believe I'll never be too far? If you lost, just look for me, you'll find me in the region of the summer stars. The fact that we can sit right here and say goodbye means we've already won. Necessity for apologies between you and me, baby, there is none. Ah, ooh, we had some good times, didn't we? Ah, ooh, we had some good treats of our sleeve. Ah, ooh, goodbye's a bittersweet, but it's not the end. I'll see your face again. You will find.